0: Live from Red Bull Studios, New York. I'm in love with my life. Hi, this is Mary H.K. Choi and you're listening to Hey! Cool Job, a podcast about jobs. Our guest today is Becca McCarran Tran, the designer behind the incredible fashion label Chromat. Chromat was a CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund finalist, and if you've ever seen super hot women like Beyonce and Nicki Minaj in caged swimwear, corsetry, and awesome wearable tech that doesn't invoke douche chills, you've likely seen Chromat. I'm in love with my life. Hi, Becca.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Can that be my intro to everything I do from now on? Yes. So how do you describe Chromat? For right now, the easiest and most like fast way to do it is architectural swimwear. That's the embodiment of the, the commercial side of what we do. Mm-hmm. And for most people I talk to, swimwear is kind of a point of reference that they can relate to.
0: Okay, right on. So you started Chromat in 2010. When you were at college at UVA, um, what was the origin story of how that came about? So
1: I actually, um, I graduated in 06, and then I worked
0: for many years.
1: My college jobs I was doing, um, I worked in the costume shop at UVA drama department, and so I got really into period pieces, of course, that's what drama departments do, like crinolines, corsets, and at the same time at UVA, I was in architecture school, so I was doing I was really obsessed with scaffolding as a concept of this interstitiary space between indoors and outdoors, and it's also a public space so people can interact with the scaffolding and so scaffolding plus corsetry is kind of where Chromat began. Right on. You were like
0: boning, boner. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sort of liminal space is like super, super fascinating. Um when you like set out to do it, you're like I'm going to make clothes? Or were you like, I'm starting a fashion atelier? Like, what was the size of the vision? Neither. (laughs) I
1: was just, okay, so really when Chromat began, the germination of Chromat, I was, okay, so um, this was a few years after I'd graduated. I worked for architects, I did urban design, and then I was, ended up in my own hometown in Lynchburg, Virginia, Mm -hmm. um, as a random circumstance, um, very unplanned sort of things of events and I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. I was twenty four. I had a great job in the urban planning department, but um everyone in city government at five thirty, they're done. Right. They drop their pencils and they leave. And so I was really like young, single, nothing to do, six o'clock. And so I started really getting into like my interests <laughs> and getting hobbies and whatnot. So I would go to Joanne Fabrics, which was the only fashion design kind of uh, affiliated.
0: No, that vibe. was a huge like yeah. there were jo- I'm like I had years in Texas and so that's like when I was like a raver I'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm going to gore fabrics. my pants with like yes. yeah, bolts of like star <laughs> fabric and shit." Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Yeah,
1: so I went to Joann Fabrics, raided the bridal section and got a bunch of corsetry, like boning and things and then I just started experimenting. Cruma was just something fun I did after work. It was just an experiment and kind of scaffolding for the body and thinking about bringing all my design training from architecture and a smaller scale for the body, and that's kind of where it all began. And then I just started doing fun little projects. I would make clothes for myself and my friends, and it kind of snowballed.
0: Oh, right on. So what is Lynchburg like?
1: Oh, well, I would say the overriding theme of Lynchburg is crazy Christian conservatives. led by Jerry Falwell, who's deceased, but his crazy family of Falwells have run this crazy Christian university called Liberty University oh, many years, and that dominates the town. And So there's like a really long shadow cast. Very creepy shadow. <laughs> um I could talk about Jerry Falwell
0: all well, day. Well, I mean, like, how, how do you fit into that sort of ecosystem? So
1: I went to Lynch—I uh, went to high school there. Um, my dad got a job at Erickson, which was in Lynchburg, and then he was working at Jenworth. Just random jobs led the family to Lynchburg, and so I went to high school there. And it wasn't really until later that I discovered the crazy Christian creepy vibes. I was just in the burbs
0: doing mm-hmm. burby things. What were you like as, like, a kid?
1: Um, I was conflicted. I was artsy, but trying to be sp- like I was into sports. Mm-hmm. I loved group sports, soccer, and I did track. And, um, I don't know, I got teased for being artsy, but I got teased for being sporty. And, but I felt like I could get along with people. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know, being in high school sucks. Um, pretty much across the board, I think. Yeah. So, but for me, um, Thinking about where I am now that I work in fashion, I could have never imagined that I would work in fashion because for me in high school, fashion was reading Vogue and shopping at the mall. That was high fashion, you know? Like <laughs> totally. Wearing whatever's cool in the mall, that right. was high Contempo fashion. casuals, yes, plus. Yes. Yeah, totally. Like Gap
0: Express, yeah.
1: limited if you were lucky, if you had to go to the next town for Old Navy, like.
0: <laughs> no, so do you identify as someone who works in, like, you know, scare quotes, fashion?
1: For sure. That's my job. That's my daily life. Right on. Especially now that we've been in the Vogue Fashion Fund, that was sort of an induction to the capital F fashion world.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, there's nothing quite like, you know, speaking to literal Anna Wintour.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. When she came to the studio as part of the Fashion Fund, she has to visit every designer in the fund. We were so nervous. We Googled her left and right. We, like, got her favorite flowers. We put them out on our desk. We were like made a list of questions we want to ask her and you have to make a list because she's so concise and she's so it's like a breath of air that just kind of blows through the space where it's like she'll say her thing she'll she's great at one-liners and she'll be like you know amazing collection see you in Paris like it'll just be so fast you have to (laughs) grab
0: onto something before she blows away do you well so uh, as a part of that sort of CFDA fashion fun thing there was like the Amazon show and like all this stuff what did that scrutiny feel like? Were you, like, looking at your Instagram count like, skyrocket before your eyes? Like, what was that process as far as, like, being in it? Being
1: on camera was horrifying. <laughs> it was the worst experience.
0: You did um, great, though.
1: It was very weird. It was never a goal of mine to be uh, in kind of in a reality context. And I would say, like, being in the Vogue fashion one, basically what it is is uh, that Vogue chooses 10 emerging designers that they pick that, Compete for a prize, and the prize is, like, a bunch of money and a mentorship. It's, like,
0: $400,000. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so we were all, me and ten other, or nine other designers were competing, and also they made a reality show where they filmed us all in the process. And I would say the, the competition itself, where it's, like, do a marketing challenge, pitch your brand, or, like, make a dress, that was not the complicated part. It was the filming that was the most grueling and the most, like, emotionally
0: battering Expensive. part yeah <laughs> totally yeah, yeah. did was it a situation where you had to sign on for the show to be a part of that oh, particular 100
1: okay and um i think we were in a unique because the vogue fashion Fund has been around for at least 12 or 13 years mm-hmm. now and we were the one season that they aired on amazon prime which is pretty much like the biggest um viewership probably they've ever gotten but um Amazon brought a whole different level to the the competition, but I remember there was one point where it was after Fashion Week, which Fashion Week is always an emotional like just process. Having the show, you just feel so dead inside after the show. <laughs> you have nothing left to give. You've given your all. It's emotionally grueling. It's physically grueling. It's just everything. You've done it. You put your show out there. You're empty. There's nothing left. And then they, we had a challenge where we had to make a dress inspired by a theme that they assigned, which ended up being cool. We, I liked what we did, but they had the cameras there. And it's like when you feel so depleted mm-hmm. and nothing left, and then there's a camera shining your face and they're asking you, like, how do you feel? That was the biggest well, breakdown.
0: Yeah, I mean, and especially because camera is this very, like, specific thing where... If you're not, like, so effusive, you look like a cadaver. Like, everyone looks like they have, like, resting bitch face. Wait, but I have a question
1: for you, because I know you went on Rihanna's plane (laughs) for seven days. How depleted did it feel to be a little facsimile of what Rihanna feels? like?
0: Well, the thing is, I think it's different if you're the Rihanna, because you're like, oh, I have this, like, entire plane at my disposal. I will leave it on the tarmac while I, you know, shop at Kiki de Montparnasse. Like, that's a thing that happens, but... I think it's it's really hard. I think it is extremely expensive. But my Rihanna... um, My favorite Rihanna story actually is... So I I interviewed her for her first cover for Complex back in like 2007, maybe. And I saw her a a couple months later. No, that's a lie. I saw her maybe a calendar year later. And at that point, that whole, whole sort of like good girl gone bad trajectory had happened. And so then she was explosively famous. And I was in... A elevator with her and we were going to a studio I forget which it's probably in the Flatiron District so I should remember but I forget and we're in the elevator and she's like hi and I'm like hi and she goes are you the writer and I was just like oh my god I am a writer but am I the writer and I'm like oh I don't think so because I was randomly meeting Rita Ora for the first time (laughs) when she was like 16 or something anyway so um and when she said are you the writer and I said, "No." And when she said that when the light of Rihanna shines on you, there's nothing more just, like, mesmerizing and, like, warming. And then when she when she realized that she wasn't going to, like, talk to me, she switched her entire face off. Whoa. And it was, like, this weird, like, I was just like, it's so cold in this shadow. Oh, Where I was God. Just like, And I was in this elevator. And that's when I thought, like, it is so, it must be so taxing to be so special, you know, like a blitzkrieg of famous special. That when you have to conserve yourself, I think that's yeah. what they do.
1: Yeah, they conserve. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And
0: I don't know. So that's really so I, I totally when you say that you're feeling depleted and you don't have anything more left, I can see why that would be challenging. But the the weird thing about the, that show, too, is that I thought that you portrayed yourself fairly accurately, like when they did that um, U.S. Vogue like photo spread or whatever and you were like oh my god is not looking at the camera like this photo like you know sucks no basically this picture sucks (laughs) what have you done to me Vogue (laughs) and
1: I was like (gasps) scandal I was just like something something there was more than one scandal in that trash photo shoot can we talk about the Native American headdresses on the little white children yes like what the fuck (laughs) Vogue will not quit with the weird appropriation even in this month's Vogue there was some yellow face shit happening on Carly Claw like, yeah. I don't get where Carly the line has will ever been, be drawn. You know,
0: she's also been the headdress down like Victoria's Secret. Mimic. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a thing. And so, it's did you trash. feel like they understood you? It's like what you were trying to do? I will
1: say the film crew did. I would say the film crew appreciated <laughs> me because I remember specifically the moment of being shot for vogue and it was very nerve-wracking and they had all the designers lined up back to back where you know it was like our little one hour time slot with the photographer and the people right after us were baldwin (laughs) which baldwin was the one with the little white children and the native american headdresses their whole theme was uh cowboys and indians because they're from the midwest and me and the film crew our (laughs) jaws were dropped to the floor we were just watching and cringing and just aghast and can this really be happening as this real life um so the film crew got it yeah. but you know as far as the photographer the stylist the
0: well uh, that's what i mean by fashion it's like this like very specific and rarefied air and they've been cloistered for so long that you're just kind of like... I don't like... get it. But there's there's definitely, like, things happening that are encouraging. Like, I, I particularly feel like um, Edward Ennful becoming oh my the God, EIC so at British like That's such a thing. Yes. I'm so excited. He's so excited. He's amazing. Amazing. And been amazing for so long. And obviously, yeah. like, you know, he's knighted as a result. He's so knighted. <laughs> so, like, people know that, I love like,
1: him so much. Yeah. I got to be on a shoot with him
0: once, and he was literally a ball of sunshine, like he's just so effusive, so sweet, and also I feel like he's going to be really um, instructive. Not even like in a. I can't believe it's the first black editor that's yes. ever been at the helm of Vogue.
1: But what I don't get that because Elaine at Teen Vogue does that not count? Oh, I guess true. she's
0: co-editor. Mm, or something? I think it's. I think the asterisk there was that it was a black male editor. Mm-hmm so yeah I've
1: been reading the cover Shoe and they said the first black editor ever but I have a read that Elaine emoji. is um, <laughs> like a co-editor with um, the, the guy
0: Philip, Philip yeah, yeah. Who so I, I,
1: I don't know how that works but I'm obsessed with Elaine and everything she's doing at Teen Vogue she's killing it yeah she murdered it dead it's just and like it's unbelievable and then, and then
0: also the whole thing of like all these people being like Oh my goodness. Like what is happening here? Like they're so shocked at the like prospect of two girls have, <laughs> yeah, totally. have thoughts about <laughs> politics. Actualization <laughs> like totally. It's like it's unbelievable. No, and and it's so patronizing. And inevitably it's even like the most woke like liberal left, you know, media elite person who's like, "Oh my god." And I'm just it's so tedious and, and so white male. Yeah. Um so, you know, you talking about like doing a fashion show like what does that actually feel like i would say the
1: fashion show is many different feelings um (laughs) the clothes and the collection is nerve-wracking okay so like There's me, my side, which is fashion design, which is making the actual clothes. That's scary and nerve-wracking because you're never sure. Did I pick the right colors? Is this what, you know, like, how is it going to, it's like you've been working on something in private for six months, and then you debut it, and you're like, are people going to hate it? Is it terrible? Did I make the wrong decision? That's the feeling I have on the runway, but at the same time, I feel so happy and excited because I get to work it's a collaboration. The runway show is a collaboration between the lighting, like Michael Popfin at Night Mine. I get to collaborate with all the models who were so blessed and lucky to have models that have modeled for us season after season as part of our family now, like Denise Badeau, Sabina, Maya Monez, well, Lena.
0: And a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is something that you've created. Like, I remember when you were first doing um, anything um showcases like whatever people are like eat gads who are these like <laughs> women who aren't like a very stereotypical like eastern european 15 year old you know yeah, it's like yeah. we're so used to these like you know white fetuses being like bowled <laughs> down the <laughs> roadway. when you it's see disturbing. like actual people you're like holy yeah. shit so what is that process like i mean obviously it's easier now but i can imagine it was challenging when you sort of set out to yes. do that
1: well I will say that when I was doing my fashion shows in Lynchburg Virginia <laughs> <Go on. laughs> it was all my friends who modeled mm. and my friends like being in Lynchburg it was diverse um uh I don't know from the very first start show we had in New York when I moved here and started doing fashionable time um it was you know a low budget project I came from, like I started this line with just like a few thousand dollars of savings from my um urban planning job and it's never been a, a big budget thing. And so I've always had to draw on like friends to help me out. And so our first one on my show was spring, no, fall 13. And it was all just friends who I'd begged to model for me. Sure. And so that friend group at the time encapsulated what my life was like nightlife, going into Lady Fag and Suzanne Barsh parties and going out. And so it was a lot of nightlife friends and Frankie Sharp um, DJed and it was very diverse because that's new york and that's nightlife and that's the world that we were living in and ever since then we've tried to continue that vibe but i remember the first time we like had an official plus size model from plus size modeling agency walking our show it was denise fado she opened the show for spring 15 and that definitely felt like a shot heard around the world it was something people weren't expecting and I feel it's so important because we deal with body wear, with swim, laundry and athletic wear, things that are so focused on the body and what a landmine that is for emotions and self-worth to always celebrate different bodies and always show different types of bodies. It's the key, like the core foundation of,
0: of who we are and what we want to do in fashion. How did you determine that as like your, like the cornerstone of your business?
1: I don't know. I think it
0: was just me growing up and I don't know. I mean, did you ever have any like doubt about it where you're like, oh, like I have to be commercially viable in this very specific way?
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: Because I could see someone being risk averse being like, ooh, like, huh.
1: well, it's not even risk averse. I think it's just easier to cast all white skinny models because that's who's represented the agency. So if you just kind of like, do a broad stroke like agencies give me models for fashion week the people that will show up in droves uh, happen to be skinny and white
0: Mm -hmm. do you feel like um i mean when you talk about like you know being risk averse or not like did you ever like did anyone ever like tell you that this was like a bad business totally. decision? Really? Like yes. who? Yes.
1: Uh, my sales director. <laughs> I will rename, remain nameless for her own protection. But um no, I for I was um, I remember talking about this collection where I was really putting my foot in the sand like i'm casting plus size models they're going to open the show and it's all about swim and my sales director was like you know what when swim buyers come in to see the collection they want to be sold an aspiration they want to be shown images that are what they want to be and they don't you know this is not exactly the aspiration that we're going for right and I was like I don't care this is, <laughs> we're making a curve collection this is happening find buyers for it but it turns out there were no buyers for it we made oh, this first collection we had Denise been model she modeled a full on capsule collection that we made that was all plus size and there was absolutely zero commercial interest zero stores that were stocking us and we really delved into the deep end of like what is driving people who happen to be above size 14, what makes them buy? Where do they buy? There's a lot of weird emotional stuff like, oh, I'm going to be 10 pounds lighter, you know, and I'm on, so I don't want to invest in a piece now because I'm going to change. You know, it's a very temporary situation in their mind because they, like, you just can't accept that this is who I am always. is always like a motivation to be different because you're being fed these, these pictures of people that, you know, our disc goal, Mm -hmm. body size, or whatever. It's amazing
0: that this is not that long ago, too. It's happening now. There's still zero weird...
1: I mean, when we're talking about the categories that we're in, like, high fashion stores, no one will buy a size large or above. Like, we just are introducing extra large this season, which is
0: (laughs) groundbreaking. Yeah. But no buyers will will get into it because... That really speaks to, like, a larger issue in terms of, like, a systemic broken model. Yeah,
1: 100%. I mean... These um, plus size customers have been trained to to know that if they go into Barney's, there's nothing for them. So why would they shop there anyway? Mm. You know, that blows. It sucks. It's like profoundly kind of fucked up. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And
0: also, when you say things like, you know, I'm not a plus size person, but when you say like buying aspirational clothes, I I I feel like that's the story of my entire disposable income in my 20s and early 30s, where I'm just like this, or like vanity sizing, which I'm always (laughs) (laughs) falling like victim to, but also. I think it's kind of a laziness. Like, I think, you know, when you talk about your architectural background, and I know you do a lot of, like, 3D body mapping and, and things that are very, very geared towards towards almost, like, a bespoke fit. It's it's almost lazy. Like, if any I, I feel like anybody could drape for a fucking size double zero. Well,
1: no one in school is being taught that, and I think that's changing now. Like, the Supermall Ellie is working with Parsons to actually bring plus size body forms into the classroom and if you can you know because that's just not the way they're taught I didn't know because I didn't go to fashion school but thank god (laughs) (laughs) but if you don't even have that that body form that bust in the studio why would you drape for it it's very weird it's very backwards
0: yeah totally um and so how expensive is making a fashion show I
1: don't oh it's a fucking mess it's a black hole of money that you just throw money in like if we were doing everything the way big brands do I mean the space costs money the casting director the press agent the models oh my god I'm still paying off a model fee from IMG for casting Alec Weck, which is my... Alec leg. Weck. I'm obsessed with her, so I'm fine with it. Yeah. But it's I, like a
0: college tuition. I've like been obsessed with her. but She's yeah, amazing. So it's basically like, oh, casually throwing yourself a wedding every... It 100% day. is. It's exactly like a
1: wedding because you have to have the invites out yeah. and you have to make sure everything has the right seats and the music, but... I mean, it's a fucking money pit, but I love working with the people that we get to work with for Fashion Week. And every season, we get to collaborate. Collaboration is like what gives
0: me—it's—it's
1: mm. it's the most exciting part of the process for me. I love working with people, especially outside of fashion, like technologists, scientists, totally. You know, people who aren't in the field and just creating new work. And for me, Fashion Week is when it's a celebration of all the work that we've done. And so I love to do runway shows because I get to work with musicians with Christine's artists at this woman we recently did a collaboration with Haram to make the soundtrack and now we're working on a ballet where Haram is making the soundtrack for this ballet that we're making the costumes for so it's really cool to be able to work with people not in fashion like musicians technologists scientists and we get to all come together, engineers and electricians. We all get to make this project together. So that's so, really
0: fun. Yeah, the cross-pollination. I mean, it kind of speaks to just how your brain must be organized, too. Like, you have to sort of have some sort of mastery of both hemispheres, it sounds like. I mean, like, architecture and, like, all this other stuff. Did you, like, did you sit for your AREs and stuff like that? No, I didn't do any of that. Which well, thank God, right? <laughs> like, a lot
1: of my friends are getting their stamp now. They're being official architects. And I'm so happy and so proud of them. Um, but yeah, it's a beast to get through that
0: system. Totally, and it's so grueling. I was clocking my end hours for a while, but then I gave up. <laughs> no, it's like it's like how I, I moved with my LSAT textbooks for like the first four apartments oh my in God, New York. Really? And I was like, fuck it. This is like such a farce. Wow. Well, speaking of New York, like, what was the story for how you moved here, and how much of a plan did you have in place before you did that?
1: Zero plan. Never <laughs> planned to move here. Yeah. I remember coming actually. Me and my family, my parents are so cute. They've never had money, but they always spend money on travel. And so we came when I was like ten or eleven, or twelve years old and we ate at the um World Trade Towers Windows on the World and like Whoa. I remember coming when I was young and being like, This place is crazy. I would never live here. It's too crowded. It's too and, loud, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I would never it was never a goal of mine to live in New York. I was like, Oh, it's too crowded, it's weird. But then when I started to get into fashion, I was like, Oh, I guess it's the only place. (laughs) And now I feel that same way. I was like, what am I going to do? Move to London? Like, I don't even speak French. My options are limited.
0: (laughs) You're stuck here with the rest of us. No, but like, did you, what was your first apartment like? Okay,
1: so I lived in a
0: creepy, weird apartment. Okay,
1: so I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. The story is that I was doing these funny little fashion shows in Lynchburg, Virginia, and shocking the town. and
0: (laughs) Scandalizing everyone.
1: And then I ended up through my coworker, who is an architect. He, everyone kind of at my day job knew I was doing these little fashion shows. He's like, "My daughter's a fashion designer in New York City. You should definitely meet her next time you're in New York." So I went up to New York. I would visit my college friends, and I met his daughter. And his daughter was Virginia Craddock, who's um, she is my fashion dire- or my sales director now. So she. Um, was doing fashion design. I think she went to FIT and her and her friend were opening up a pop-up shop in the Lower East Side at the time this was like 2008-2009 and I remember like coming to visit I would show her like what I was working on just pictures of the projects little fashion projects and then at one point she was like this is really cool you should put some stuff in this pop-up shop me and my friend are doing it was like for Christmas and so I like sent a few pieces and and they were in the pop-up shop where it was, like, corsets, like, little cage bras, and it really took off. Like, it, it, people actually bought it, and then... Did that
0: blow your mind? Very much so.
1: <laughs> and then they, like, ended up turning into a full, full-time full retail space, and they ordered more, and I was what like... What was it called? It was International Playground. Okay. Which is still yeah. um, happening today. And um, so I was like, who are these weird people buying these cages? I don't get it. So I was like, maybe I'll just move to New York and work as an architect and i'll figure out who this weird scene of people buying these strange objects so i moved to new york and um i figured i would continue doing architecture i was staying with my friend it was like she had a double bed so it was us on both sides (laughs) and then eventually i got my own apartment in chinatown but it was this weird place where this guy who was in a rent controlled situation would like rent out all these little rooms to like
0: young girls Mm -hmm. and it was very creepy well remember the craigslist ads back then where it's just like you just have to do some light cleaning preferably like (laughs) clothes where you're like oh, it's like like really like some broad city shit okay so i remember um my guy friend who's gay
1: he had come to visit me he was living in new york and we were like let's go out on the town and we're gonna go to the lower east side and go to a bar (laughs) and he ended up spending the night in my chinatown apartment and then after that my um landlord or roommate he was living there too he was like accusing me of being a prostitute Oh shit. because my guy friend had spent the night in my little right. room.
0: That's crazy. Also, you only accuse other people of, like, things that you are guilty of usually. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, hmm,
1: yeah, telling. Maybe he had some experience in the category. Yeah, but, so, like, also yeah. the Lower
0: East Side back then. Like, this is, like, pre-Williamsburg even being a thing. So This was
1: right near a 169 bar. It was on mm, East Broadway. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I had
0: great, like, the Chinese bakeries, the red bean totally i right. always go for like an empty pineapple bun that's like my, yeah that's my jam so you had your first studio in chinatown too right
1: yeah so i was working out of my little apartment it was like a little home sewing machine so i moved to um new york and i was gonna get a job in an architect and then i don't know how but a store in la found out about chromat and then so they asked for an order so i would sew everything on this home sewing machine ship it to la Then I got another order in New York, shipped it to there, and it was all me sewing everything myself. (laughs) And then, like, I would be like, no, just... Finish this order, then make a list of architecture firms you're going to apply to. Like, at least make a list. Then you can email them. And then I got another order. And then three months later, I hadn't had time to send out my resume. And so I was like, I guess this is my job. <laughs> Surprise. Like, please, Lord, send me a sign. <laughs> yeah. So then I moved to Bushwick, which was a slightly bigger bedroom. And I worked out in my bedroom there for two years. And I ended up hiring interns. And that was very strange because I'd be like, you sit in the one chair in my bedroom. Yep. I'll sit on the bed. <laughs> if we have to print something, I'll get my printer out from under the bed and put it on the bed and then eventually I met a friend who had a studio in the navy yards and mm-hmm. she was like I have a space you should come work there so I worked in the navy yards then I moved the studio to Greenpoint now
0: we're in Bushwick yeah or, sorry bed and would you say like a studio is a necessity for what you do is in terms of like you know a very real fixed cost to your business
1: now it is I mean I was working out of my bedroom for two years so I see that that happens too and Mm -hmm. you know it was very real part it's not glamorous
0: but um it's great come tax time though you're like let me write off this portion (laughs) of my rent (laughs) exactly (laughs) um and so how many people work for chroma right now
1: so now it's just two people it's a head of marketing design with me and then a head of design technical design and production mm-hmm. and how much sewing do you do yourself at this point None, honestly okay when well, the camera crews show up i'll do some <laughs> fake sewing for their camera bit stunt sewing exactly. Yeah, totally. i'm a stunt sewer but i will jump in for fashion week and mm. i'm honestly not the like now i have people that are this is their profession and they do it full-time so i work with them to mm-hmm. sew most of the garments But I'll jump in for some of the weird conceptual pieces that'll never make it off the runway. Also, some of those, because they don't have to be as nice on the inside.
0: (laughs) This is the idea. (laughs) Um, Question. So when you um, design a new season, what is that process like? So it's very collaborative.
1: So it's me, my team, interns, everyone. We start from a blank slate. Sometimes it's it's already predestined where we're like we've seen this one exhibit and we want to make a piece about that sometimes it's very open ended like resort we're designing now that which will debut in june but not to the press anyway our vibe for resort is very much like zen gardens but that kind of came later everyone just basically throws images into a secret pinterest board oh okay as a collective and then we go through it together and sort of pick up themes how did
0: you decide upon that process versus you in a myopic k-hole of self-loathing and, and like just mining <laughs> your brain desperately for like nuggets?
1: Well, some collections do come that way too. <laughs> it's very diverse in the inspiration. I don't know. We've gone very direct and like uh, some inspirations
0: come from exhibits at Dia Beacon, for example, or Dia Beacon's vibe from like deciding to go up there. Being there, especially when it's like a weekday and it's dead. Ooh, weekdays! I've never done it's that. It's the best. Ooh. yeah. It just pro tip. Like that whole. You got the keys. <laughs> I got the keys. <laughs> no, like that whole building takes on this like very. Um, organic vibe like the way it's curated to it has so much space like super spacious yeah it's so great
1: yeah so we did an exi- uh we did a whole collection on Solowit and yeah. his I love his idea of not being the artist I love the idea of anarchy and there's no hierarchy of who the artist is and who isn't where Solowit would make a list of instructions to make his art and then pass it off to someone else to actually build the artwork and so I love that idea of anyone could be the artist by taking the instructions mm. And we've done another exhibit off of Dia Beacon by Robert Irwin, who did the um, fluorescent lights that were wrapped in the colors. And so we were thinking about light and color, and then we got into biomimicry and thinking about animals or organisms that use light to communicate and protect. We look at a lot of biomimicry and, like, thinking about animals and how they use their shell to create different
0: functionality for their body. Mm, totally. So basically... I mean, I feel like if you're intellectually curious, you can be inspired by conceivably anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of, you know, mimicry and all that stuff, you you work with like a lot of different interesting technologies and disciplines, especially within tech. Um, how do you get an Intel to be down? Do you just like call them up? Is there like an 800 number? <laughs> like- so the reason or the the story of starting
1: to work with Intel is I was at an, ex- uh, uh, was like a one Day Summit at Milk Studios, who had organized it. And Now I know that Intel had sponsored the the summit, but I didn't know at the time. I just showed up and learned about some fashion tech stuff that these speakers were talking about. And then afterwards, one of the speakers from Intel, I, I just walked up to him and was like, it's so cool you're talking about all these like adaptive and responsive things. I do lingerie, which I feel like is the first layer of skin on the body, so we can... Glean the most data f- being the closest to the skin because the skin is so, it can tell you so much mm-hmm. about the body temperature and the salinity and, and everything. And so I was talking about how, you know, we could do these bras that were super adaptive. And he was like, cool, let me get your email. And then, and then you created bras
0: that were adaptive.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then it just spawned from there.
0: I'm so lucky that I got to go to that summit and meet the engineering team. And is that how that usually happens? You just sort of like word vomit enthusiasm on someone and people are like, here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I did that to someone (laughs) last week. I hope it pans out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's awesome, though. So you're
1: still super into what you do. I love it. I mean, it's funny because there's two sides of Chroma. There's the commercial side, which Mm. is swimwear, which sells in stores. And then there's the other side, which is super conceptual and super tech-focused and feature-focused. And for me, my passion lies in what's next. And I love technology and fashion because I feel like... There's an ongoing conversation about oh it's been done before in fashion it's always a, just a recycling of trends but with f- technology there's nothing that's done be- been done before and these adaptive garments and these responsive things things that um, incorporate these wireless sensors and there's so much where your garment can become a tool and
0: I'm super into it totally are people within tech sometimes like patronizing or just weird that you apply this much like academic vigor to like what your pursuits are.
1: Well, I was lucky to work with a really cool team at Intel that was led by a female engineer. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Carly. And she was incredible, and I love her so much, and we're really good friends now. And, you know, hearing her struggles in the tech world. I believe it. Oh, my God. What a mess. You know, she's told me all kinds of stories where, you know, coming up as a young tech person, she could be accepted as someone that was constantly learning. But now that she's older and she's in a leadership role, people Feel like she should be that, still like that tutor, that mm. someone who's learning from other people and not like the person they want to take commands from. And it's totally sounds
0: like a mess. Yeah, it sounds, it's also fucking Victorian. Yeah, it's, it's like very so trippy. Weird. Um, yeah, being a woman's weird. Being a woman getting older is weird. Getting older is weird because cause it's cause like, you lose that, like, like young, you know, learning. It's like everyone
1: will kind of accept you if you're like just excited and learning. Yeah, totally and joyful about yeah, it. But, yeah,
0: uh, You know, I'm at this age where I've I've learned a lot at this point, and not to say that I've learned at all. I've learned enough. I've learned enough to You've know. You've learned the keys. Can we talk about the keys? <laughs> I want to know about the keys. Oh my god, did you see the Double XL cover with um, Khaled and Assad on the cover? Oh my god, it's like, I hey, was it's, like it's, the, it's the first baby to grace the cover of Double XL. It's it's very exciting. Really? Yeah. Um, no, have you met Assad? I have not met Assad. What? I know. I. How um, did you
1: write an entire book with this man and never meet Assad? Or he As- came after? Yeah,
0: Assad came after. Yeah, yeah Assad yeah. was the the key you had to work up to. Oh shit. Wait, <laughs> yeah. but I want to ask you when you were writing this book. Were you writing it while he was on tour with Beyonce? No, this uh, part of the ending part. Yeah, totally. I didn't have too, too much time to write it. And it was really interesting because he was. I mean, to me, he'd been famous for a long time. He'd been doing this. You know, he's been doing this for a very, very long time. How
1: could you miss those like DJ
0: Khaled stamps on every damn song? Those drops like legendary. And so but it was weird to see that sort of transmogrify into this thing where, like, Kelly Rippa knows who he is. You know what I mean? We're like, yeah, that's moms true. know who he is. And yeah. so it became this thing where, like, I'm like, oh, shit, he's on Ellen DeGeneres. And so that trajectory, that, like, dazzling, dizzying, like, nosebleed-inducing, like, G-force trajectory was happening while we were writing the book. So that was that was a lot. And so Whoa. I had to, like, get on his tour bus and, like, just actually, like, be like, okay, let's get it all. like, And he was great. And it's so funny because so many people try to you know, like, I don't know, some, like, hard-nosed gumshoe business where people are like, what does he really like? No, but what does he really, really like? And then the thing (laughs) is, it's like, genuinely what you see is what you get. He is that stoked to be, be doing this well but it must turn out like when
1: you're talking about Rihanna conserving her energy does Mm. he conserve because it seems like he's such a giver he is he
0: uh, he gives to a fault I would say I I think that that's not like it's funny I wrote this cover story for Complex where um, it was with Tony Robbins yeah totally I want
1: to talk about that because Tony (laughs) Robbins
0: creeps me out to the max he okay you would think the one thing I love about Tony Robbins is he's actually pretty genuine and I know that that sounds completely like cracked but, and I always, same thing with Khaled, like, I always associate it to who they surround themselves with. And Tony Robbins' crew, very legit, very legit, and have been with him for a thousand years. That's cool. Yeah. And Khaled's crew, same thing, very legit, has, have, like, been by his side for, like, a thousand years. And I feel like that sort of reflects on the person. Like, if they're surrounded by, like, people who are so, like, celebrity, industrial complex, like, no. you know, just, like... 10, like, 20 weed carriers and 45 yes people. No. Like, that's a thing. But if they have real people with real relationships and they, they, they even fight with or disagree with, like, I think that that says a lot.
1: But Tony's got this whole man vibe where he's like, release the lion and yourself as a man. He's you like, have to dominate the woman and show her your
0: masculine energy. Yes. What's that all about? However, his wife is badass. Really? And, like, not... Not like any like subservient or any sort okay. of beta energy. Like he's he. So he gets bossed around by his wife. Totally. Okay, thank God. It's very like um, speak softly, carry a big stick. With okay, her. cool. Like cool. that's and and he's very receptive to that because he's older. Like he's he looks great, but he's like older, and so. But when they were talking to each other, like when, like the cameras weren't rolling, we were doing like other like we were doing video hits and stuff, and they. <laughs> And Khaled was genuinely asking Tony, like, you know, I just give so much, and like, da da da, da and you know, and I think from, coming from the perspective of someone who, you know, coaches pretty serious people from like Fortune 500 CEOs to like athletes, like in the 11th hour of some like, you know, like crazy situation, you know, and they were just really talking, and I, I do think that's hard f- for Khaled, although. I'm not one to speak for him, even though I've ghostwritten for him. But, yeah, he was he was very genu- genuine and very cool. Um, what the fuck were you like, That's such a good... Wait, but, okay,
1: but Tony Robbins, I was really obsessed with Requiem for a Dream as a kid. Me too. And, okay, what? cool. Is that...
0: How old are you? I'm 33. Okay, well, I'm, no, I'm about to be 33. Okay, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you. So when did you watch that movie when it came out definitely when i was like i don't know way 14. too little right yeah I w- but there was a fashion design
1: and i was like she seems so cool <laughs> i You're love wrong. that
0: that's the movie that you imprinted on yeah.
1: <laughs> like, you i watched it a million times that in blow with um yeah yeah, yeah. wife beater uh what's his name uh, Johnny Depp yes, yes. Um,
0: why were we blinking out isn't it so tragic like what happened to Johnny Depp he really spiraled and also fun not funnily enough but also I sound like such an asshole but <laughs> I distinctly remember putting Amber Heard on the cover of Misbehave magazine like yeah. a magazine that I used to run and everyone was just like who the fuck is this oh, and I said I don't know I know this sounds crazy, but I feel like she's gonna do a thing, and Lord knows I had no idea that that thing would be this fucking fiasco. Yeah, yeah. But I knew she would do a thing. Um,
1: so wait, but "Requiem for a Dream" like that's Tony Robbins for me. That's like the old <laughs> woman storyline, no, and that's fair, fair, why I'm fair, freaked up by him.
0: Fair. Well, and also that sort of like, you know cult leader-ish yeah. sort of... I'm really into reading about Scientology.
1: I think that's so fascinating Did you and creepy.
0: watch my Scientology movie? Yes, I did. Yes. And I watched Leah Remini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's creepy
1: f- as hell. It is very creepy. I can't believe you can sign your way of, to be in their army. But, but, the, but did you see churches can now have armies? <laughs> I'm horrified
0: by the world. The world right now is fucking trash. And actually, ugh, I can't tell... What I can't tell is whether or not I'm s- so egocentric... That I think that the world is getting worse or that I'm just of an age to see with enough clarity and to have enough of like a vested interest in politics where like everything is affecting me so deeply now. But
1: doesn't everyone agree that the world sucks right now? I don't think it's just you. I I have a very
0: original thought. (laughs) I think the world is trash. No, no. But some days it's like I kind of can't function. Yeah. And some days like I just gorge on but the internet. That's one
1: thing I wanted to ask you because I know in fashion the fashion world oh my and my the their retail response. world is well, I mean that's a different subject, like, yeah. but the retail world is dying right now. Things are really in upheaval. And I think a lot of it has to do with this insecurity right now that the consumer has where it's like, Well, of course there's shopping online which is dominating the retail like landscape. But a lot of thing is that Everyone feels insecure and there's no consumer confidence right now. So no one's buying because it's such an upheaval happening. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know what that feels like in the right. Well, I guess the writing world already had their upheaval with the news Hello. closing. But, and.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's like I'm, you know, someone who tried to launch a magazine in 2007. So like I remember 2008. I remember 2009. I remember being so broke. And I remember it being so unanimous that the people around me were broke. And, you know, this is a story I keep going back to. I remember I was in the unemployment office in Brooklyn. And it was so trippy. Like, you know, it, that feels really adult, like collecting unemployment. And I saw a friend of mine. And I was like, oh, shit, I haven't seen you in a minute. And she was there with her newborn child and also her husband. Because guess what? We were all in media. And I was like, oh, shit, your whole entire family's fucked. And oh, she's like, seriously. Damn. And it was like, it was very gallows humor. and We could actually laugh about it. But, like, that was a very real thing. And I, I, I do agree that, like shit isn't good right now. And, and I'm not surprised the retail sector is tanking, tanking only because it's like, you know, speaking of trends, it's like, you talk about all this fast fashion and all this incredibly flammable, like, you know, borderline carcinogenic shit that like people are like, you know, forging into clothing. And, and also like this whole thing that freaks me out, like, what do you think about like the see now buy now shit that's like, like overtaking fashion
1: yeah. well i don't think it's overtaking i think people are trying to figure it out and i don't think anyone's really come up with a good like i just feel like consensus. that's sort of like
0: almost pop of like point of purchase display technique where it's mm-hmm. just like kind of like see it get it magpie blah yeah you know like i think that works when the the barrier to entry is a certain price point point. Mm-hmm. and i think that maybe there's some wiggle room depending on how rich you are but doesn't that make everything zara like psychologically. Yeah,
1: but I don't think, I think the fashion designers that have, have gone full into C Now by now, right now, they're coming out and being like, eh, that didn't actually work. So mm. we're gonna go back to like creating desire over time.
0: Yeah, and what do you exactly? Because you want you don't that instant gratification, it's like it's like eating a Dorito. You're like, did I eat that? I, I don't remember. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, are you talking about me three hours ago? <laughs>
1: That's I feel like it's <laughs> <no. laughs> And I was like, Why
0: are these triangles flying into my mouth? Like totally <laughs> Doritos are like amnesia food. But I do you think that what do you think about like designer musical chairs as a thing? Um you mean like uh, <laughs> like everyone being like oh i'm here now no I'm, ne- yeah. I'm here and da 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 da. i don't i can't really speak i don't i don't i don't have an opinion on do you
1: on, follow fashion like yeah
0: i do do you feel sometimes you're like oh <gasps> this
1: no it, it's okay. my work it's my day job it's um something that well i've always been a fan like even in high school when i thought fashion was going to the mall i've always been a fan of like cool designer stuff and i'm a fan of Gucci. i'm a fan of I mean,
0: goatee is, he's so dope. sweet. He's and so sweet. Have you met him? Uh, no. Have you? No, I have. Oh, n- no, I have not. Oh, I went okay. to a panel. I went to a lecture he did once and, um, he was talking about how like the pressure of designers to like do so much, right? Oh my
1: God. I'm on a treadmill all the time. I can't how get many, off. How
0: many seasons do you do? Or like, so we do
1: four seasons of swim plus two seasons of Freddy tour. That's so... So like six seasons a year. That's so and fucking And it's crazy. Much. I mean, considering it's like a team of four. Yeah, that's so much. I don't much. know where the fuck all this money is coming from. <laughs> I know where it's going. But yeah, it's a mess and it's not sustainable for anyone. And everyone's trying to figure out what the new normal is and... It's very weird, but I do I can't speak to the fact that if we don't constantly have product dropping, we don't get money. That's the only way we get money right. is so if that, we that have to is real real. So in order to have money, you have to constantly be dropping new shit, which means you have to be thinking it. So it's 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 helping us get money year mm. round. Otherwise, if we just did two seasons a year, that'd be two points in the year where we actually get money. the rest of the time. no, yeah. so famine. Yeah. yeah, so it helps us to kind of even out the cash flow. if we're constantly producing new stuff. But, yeah, it's really crazy. It's really, um, like,
0: vertigo-inspiring. Totally. Well, I'm sorry, just going back to this goatee thing. He was talking about designing, and he's been designing for such a long time. And he was so happy about it. And it was so weird because in that moment I was just like, wow, I'm so used to it. Because I read on, like, fashion shit as well. And I was like, I was so used to people complaining about it. That it was actually, like, genuinely kind of moving to see this man who has been a god for so long. Like, he's, like, so my formative years in terms of, like, you know, I, too, want men in pinstripe long column skirts. You know? like Men in corsets. Totally. And, ugh, so good. And, you know, and so that part is really great. He seems unique, and it's just that he seems to emanate this kind of radiance. And I love him for that do you still love so you still love being
1: a fashion designer what I love is materials I love connections and I love to create joints and I love that feeling (laughs) like when I get into the zen state where I'm just like combining materials and thinking of new ways to combine them and different ways they can overlap and that's for me like the zen state where I lose track of time and I'm happy and nothing Mm -hmm. matters
0: you're like all fulcrums all day. <laughs> that's really cool. So in terms of like, oh, is there a technology that you're kind of just waiting to appear where you're like, I have this idea. A million technologies. Really? Like, so yeah. Like what? Well,
1: first of all, if we're talking about anything that's con- controlled by electricity, the joints, the connectors, they're always snapping because all this technology was made for like hard case things like phones and computers, nothing was made for the body. And that's a whole different set of expectations. The body's constantly in motion. It's stretching, it's moving and no technology was engineered. And that, that, With that malleability. In it's mind. so crazy. Like all the joints snap, they all come apart. The batteries are hard. Like they're just now starting to develop stretchable batteries, which I think is the key to any kind of electronic, um, integration into clothes and, even with 3D printing, I'm super into 3D printing as a concept for full accessibility and full customization. Because when we talk about having plus-size models on the runway, or even having a bra that fits, we recognize doing swim and and lingerie that no body is the same, no bust is the same, and
0: they yeah, shouldn't my be. boobs are so wall-eyed. I'm always <laughs> like, like whenever I like have anything, it's like borderline sweetheart or like anything <laughs> boussier wise I'm like, what is this? crowding into the middle of my sternum business yeah so no
1: bodies are the same and Mm. they shouldn't be but we should be able to create custom garments for each body and for me 3d printing is one solution for that where you everyone will have a body scan on their phone just like everyone has selfies now everyone will have a body scan and you can just download the clothes apply it to your scan and then print it out in your full custom you know your favorite color your favorite print And that's to me the future where you'll be able to hack the runways, just like you can download any album now. Mm. You'll be able to download clothes. What? When do you think that's gonna happen? A million years from now? Hurry (laughs) up! What the (laughs) hell? well first of all the extrusion is so shitty
0: like no extrusion one wants to wear like, a plastic extrusion has been shitty for so long yeah you know yeah. what i mean because it's always There's a like, lot it's always like very high spun high sheen like fucking like right. the filament shit it's like well it's it, it will never replicate
1: cotton or, or mm. fabric that is made to be soft the softness is key i think and That technology, I don't think softness has really been a goal for theirs. It's not been a priority at all.
0: (laughs) No, but so in terms of like stretchable batteries, who are the pioneers being like, this is, I'm going to apply some urgency into this particular, very specific realm. I know. I mean, I can't really speak to the name
1: brands, but when we were working with Intel, I know they had people on the street in Hong Kong that were doing stuff. Mm. I mean, I know it's out there. We collaborated with a company in New Zealand that's made... They make, it's called Stretch Sense, where they make kind of Bluetooth with, it's like rubber band with Bluetooth, where it's like a rubber band, a stretchable band, that when it changes um, the stretching, it will communicate um, the stretch. And so it's sort of this new
0: product. We worked with them for fall 16. Okay, right on. So um, when, are you an LLC? Or S-Corp. S-Corp, what's the difference? So if we go under, then it's not on me. Okay, right on. Do Do you have like night terrors about going under every day really
1: um well have you been following the nasty Gal shit like that's horrifying but nasty Gal, it's
0: not to, oh, i keep saying these like very dismissive things like i'm some sort of sage um <laughs> Nastigal, it's just like the type the velocity with which they grew was alarming yeah well i will say that for and do, do you like their stuff they stock chromat at
1: one point but do you like their
0: Their clothes, like just across the board. Well,
1: I don't shop. I'm I'm not a consumer. (laughs) I'm a terrible fashion person because I hate shopping. Really? I've never liked shopping because I'm always going to stores and being, eh. I can make that. Why would I spend three (laughs) hundred dollars when I'll just buy
0: some fabric? True. It sucks. (laughs) No, that doesn't suck. That's amazing. I haven't
1: bought clothes in like ten years.
0: I am starting to not buy clothes. Like I had to buy a bunch of clothes for TV because I realized all my shit has logos on it. You cause... should come to Croatia. No, on, I would, let 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 dress you. You. I would <laughs> love to What are we that? doing here? <laughs> and we're out. <laughs> no, I mean like no that's 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 cool. I mean, I never you know what, I was biased against Gal because I had a couple friends who worked there and oh, they were like, "Oh, I... this is like the terror horror dome." horror
1: stories. Well, I will say like the fear of of going under is real because i didn't start with investment i don't have investment we live collection from collection so you know i've always said in different interviews like if one season doesn't go well that's it there's no
0: safety net for us would you pursue outside investment i would love to do you know someone (laughs) i might could No, that that seems like a thing that could happen i think it
1: would be great i think we've just been kind of a like a scrappy brand that have built... All our income comes from stores that we sell to or direct Would consumer. you do any, like, tech incubation type thing? Yeah, I'd love to. Interesting. I've talked to a lot of tech investors, and they love tech, but they see fashion as a black hole, where it's like, if you want to throw money to lose money for your taxes, fashion is the way to go. Really? Yeah. Fashion's not really a money-making venture. Even when before I got into fashion, I was reading books by Terry Agent where it's like, Gautier made his money on perfume, not ready to wear
0: yeah, what's the sort of scalable? But I feel like swimwear is kind of like the handbag. You no, know? I think swimwear is cool. I think swimwear
1: is more, even a more of a commodity where you have to buy underwear to live. <laughs> I think you need a swimsuit to survive no, for in the sure. summer. It's not like a cool, weird jacket that looks great. Right. But and then it's like you, a turtleneck, yeah. but it's a bolero.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. Um, what Do you, want, like, hobnob with other designers? Oh, all day. That's, like, all I do. Those are my best <laughs> friends is other designers. Really? Like, like who?
1: Aurora from Brother Bellies from the show. Okay. Um, David Hart. Oh, God, there's so many. I mean, I cherish my friends who are in the industry because without them, I would be lost. Like, there's so many just, you know, recommendations. or are like, oh, if you work with the store, are they good or do they never pay? You no, know, like totally, that, totally that kind of thing.
0: So, but... As far as, like, fashion, fashion, fashion. Being this, like, you know, kind of, like, snobby, like, I was going to say mausoleum. But, um, you know, this, like, very rarefied and established thing yeah. of snobs who are very, like, outsiders out. Like, is that a thing? hmm Yep. <laughs> are you like that? I don't know.
1: I mean, I definitely have always been um, grossed out by fashion. I think... Like, I was never interested in pursuing the field because I always kind of uh, experienced that, like, exclusivity and that, like... Yeah, you're like, but why I, do I
0: want to eat with the mean girls?
1: But I feel like that's a PR thing. that's I think fashion has th- thrives on exclusivity because that's a consumer trend. If you know the shirt's not going to be in stores for long, you have to get it now. And that's a consumer kind of driving marketing thing Mm. but then when i realized like peeling back all the layers of pr and marketing and realizing the people at the center are artists and creatives who are interested in fabric and weird textures that was my point of entry nothing else like i have no interest in buying or shopping
0: well actually that's really funny because people who have been in fashion for like decades who are like genuine fixtures who might not be known by anyone outside of that but like definitely have been the occasional like bold name and you know like women's Wear daily or something they're you know usually they wear uniforms like two or three things two or three designers and yeah they're just very odd and like genuinely artsy in a way that you don't see a lot as, as far as like the the public facing like face of fashion
1: yeah I think growing up or even when I was younger in the fashion industry I felt like what I wore was sort of my calling card and so I'd always try and Dress up like I was super into nightlife, like Lady Fang, Suzanne Barsh vibes. Um, but now that I'm older and I have a thing that people have heard about, I feel zero pressure to dress up. <laughs> I'm like, you, my thing can speak for itself, and now I can wear black t-shirts every day.
0: No, totally. I think that's, I think that's also a product of age, where you're just yeah, like, I'm super secure. And yeah, like,
1: but the calling card as a young fashion designer is yourself. Yeah, your for garment.
0: sure. Do you ever feel conflicted about that? Like, how much your visibility is, like, entrenched in, like... Your brand.
1: Well, it's funny because during the Vogue Fashion Fund, it was the it was the the point where I felt thrust into the spotlight, mm. where I'd never been thrust before. I was happy being a, a designer of Chroma, but then there's a bunch of other people doing it too. And Vogue really—you
0: were in a photo with Kanye and Kim. Okay, do you want to talk about Kanye? Because we get to the next half hour just doing that. I understand. Um, oh, of course. Kanye came to the first Misbehaved party. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and that was like—I was just like, oh wait, my. what era was that? Very 808 big, and heartbreak. No, no, very like oh God. college dropout, like oh shit. very baby, baby Kanye. Baby still Kanye, talking Kanye about with working, the pink the polos. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh shit! Um, so that was a very exciting. Step. I mean, Kanye is very interesting. I must stand so he can do no wrong.
1: Even when he talks about Trump, I think he was just manic and he didn't know. He's been manic. Yes, he's manic.
0: I, yes, I admire. So, how was that being in a photo with him? Talk about the Okay, so let's the, talk yeah. about
1: Kanye. The <laughs> highlight of my life was being the Vogue Fashion Fun where we did a runway show in LA. And it was actually Anna Wintour who introduced me to Kanye West. <laughs> so, I'm going to die and fall over off this chair right now. I'll just say that sentence. Yeah. But, okay, so it was post runway show. And actually, one of the models in our runway show was Lauren Wasser, who had lost a leg to TSS and now she has a. Um, Uh, prosthetic gold leg and he came up to me he's like you did the sportswear and i was like yeah he's like that's so cool you worked with models of prosthetics i'm super into prosthetics that's why i have these implants on my mouth and he showed me his grill and we were talking about prosthetics as a a, like the first part of being becoming bionic and Mm -hmm. how s um athletic wears that kind of venn diagram of like technology and fashion and bionics and prosthetics and getting into superhumans and we were going off and it was the highlight of my life because I was like someone gets me (laughs) but then there came a point in the conversation where I don't know if you've experienced this but he was sort of like Trying to figure out if I was on his level, he was like, I feel like we have mutual friends. I was like, yeah, totally. <laughs> we definitely do. And he, I tried to throw out a few names. I realized later we actually do like zebra cats. OJ, yeah. he's worked with them, but I did not think of that. I was throwing out some names. He's like, no, nah. no, And then someone will scooped him away, but I was like, no, we could have been best friends forever. Come back. <laughs> I was like, we might still be. Yeah. I mean, call me, but yeah, I got to meet Kim. She's so nice, so sweet. Yeah, I t- watch the Kardashians. Do you?
0: I do not. But the thing is, it's oh, like shit. I've this never. This crazy. I've heard. I've heard. What are you doing? I know. I think at one point I'm just going to sit down and dedicate like a chunk of time to just like do that. You need five hours to watch the season. No, I Kim see. gets
1: robbed.
0: Exactly. Kanye has
1: a meltdown. There's a lot of stuff to get through.
0: <laughs> True. <clears throat> what are some sort of like fashion industry tropes that you could demystify? Like I, I always love everyone. Being like, you think you've made it when you're in Barney's, but that's not true.
1: I mean, the whole trope of you think you've made it, but then that's not true is the story of my (laughs) life. I don't know. I just feel like no amount of press is equal to sales. Like, the only thing that, because we live collection to collection, it's solely based on sales from stores 100%. There's no secrets that if we don't have a collection that sells and stores actually buy it, then there's no collection. I feel like we could get press all day and all night, and we could do world tours all day and all night, but that doesn't translate to sales. And in fact, it's worked in our detriment in a lot of ways really? recently, because we're really focusing on swimmer as the commercial product of Chromat that is the most easily accessible to the mainstream. Totally. And, and it's a very sort of specialized
0: niche that you do well.
1: I feel proud. We've yeah. developed it over time where we've worked on fit, which is, you know, as I said, a landmine. And we've really honed in on fit and quality and fabric and everything, compression and anyway, but like people will come to like a trade show we'll do and they'll be like, oh, I've heard of Chromat but it's too edgy for my customer. And I feel like all the tech and all the Beyonce tours in the world, Will not get us that sale. Who thinks we're too edgy? And I don't know. What do you have to do, like dress a Lauren Conrad? To like, be what honest, is this? This is a personal identity crisis that I have every day mm. because my interests are quote unquote too edgy, and it's what that I'm personally interested in that I never will stop being interested in. That's what continues to keep me in this in this industry. Mm. But then I have to recognize that I actually have to communicate with people that may not be on that level, and so that's sort of my struggle
0: yeah that sounds like a really tough reconciliation but it's 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 on paper i'm just like it should work right because like you could almost equate that um you know tech side of it as your like couture which Mm -hmm. is not meant to be worn yeah
1: it's just like a manifestation of. but even couture i think is too edgy for the swim consumer they want to have blonde hair and be on the beach and I don't know. That's the vibe. But like, okay, speaking of like... Like, I've had my sales director being like, it's really cool that you work with trans women, but that's not what the swim consumer wants to see. And it's really Who sad. Who the fuck is the swim consumer? <laughs> Maybe
0: that's just need something that needs to be disrupted. Yeah, yeah. Because I agree with you. Like, swimming is not just like... Something that a very specific type of person does. Like, but when you think about the LA gypsy boho vibe or right. Miami Coachella this it's, hey. <laughs> it's very like it's that very certain, navel piercing. Yeah, 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 it's tough. I feel like yeah, maybe you're just a little early, trage, <laughs> <laughs> or it will work. Um, so. Who? So speaking of the thing that you very casually shoehorned into that statement, which was that you dressed Beyoncé for her world tour. Like, what was that like?
1: It was crazy. I mean, I never got to meet her. Did
0: you meet her when you were on tour with DJ Khaled? I did not, but I've met Beyoncé before. Really? For what? I was at. Were you writing about her? No, I was at Jay Z's birthday party. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was just very random, and she was just there, and she's lovely. Yeah, and she's small. a goddess. Yeah, what? Well, she's she's like, like short. And- well, because she's like larger than life life. and you're like oh yeah there's god and then there's beyonce yeah so when you're 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 like actually meeting her you're like oh my god you're like in the pantheon but also like you're a person yeah i met Mm nikki minaj she's super short
1: yeah totally um
0: and that's like the first sort of celeb that you dressed yes nikki was yeah how did that come about were you were you like (laughs) speaking of like were you like i made it (laughs) yeah i was (laughs) i called my mom i was like oh my god watch
1: she's like that's great who's Nikki Minaj (laughs) but yeah working with Beyonce was super cool I mean you know all celebs when they're working on their stuff it's always last minute they live just a last minute life where it's like constantly just gigs and gigs and gigs Mm -hmm. but I remember getting voicemails from Tina Knowles being like super Texan accent be like we need, uh, you know, yeah, I can't, I'm not even going to try. What have I done? No, they just needed, like, things shipped to Paris overnight and needed to happen now. And, like, I would be on the phone with them and be motioning to my team, like, start cutting. Like, we need to
0: start now. So, in, you know, it sounds like you have to have a very high pain threshold to be in fashion.
1: Yeah, I talk about pain threshold a lot when people ask
0: me about my job. No, it just, it sounds... It sounds rigorous.
1: Well, for me, when I talk about pain threshold, it's sort of like an overdrafting thing. It's like people who aren't used to being overdrafted once a month, it's, it's very scary. But for me and never having money, I'm like, oh, it's just a temporary thing. I'll get the check next week. It's fine. Just annoying. And it's like that pain threshold for constantly being broke and then getting money and then figuring it out mm. and just like working with what you've got. That pain threshold is very like high for me.
0: What are the ingredients that you feel are necessary for doing what you do and being good at what you do?
1: Well, I when I ask for advice for like young designers, I definitely think that everyone should learn how to sew. Mm. There's some kids coming out of Parsons that pay other people to make their clothes, and I just think that's a travesty. Like, if you can't sew shit, then why are you designing shit? Like, like just, you
0: won't know how anything behaves. It's so
1: disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. But that's how the world works. Like, as a designer of Dior, you probably don't sew. You just like say yes or no to the sketches. Mm-hmm. But to get to that point, I think you need to learn craft. Um, but actually, I was at this talk when I first started out. It was with a fashion designer, and he was like, you know. Only 10% of my job is actual fashion design, like the creativity part. The rest is, like, running my business and accounting and, you know, cash flow management. And Are you good at math? Uh, do, yeah, I used to be. to be. I don't, uh, like, do
0: calculus for fun, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably quite a necessary part. Like, yeah, spreadsheets. Yeah, totally. Yeah. P&Ls, man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Very real. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what... So Chromat's almost coming up on, like, ten years? We have three more to go, but yeah. Is there anything that you would feel like that would be a pretty, like, watershed-type landmark for your future? Hmm. I've never thought
1: about that. I just live (laughs) (laughs) day-to-day.
0: I'm praying. You live day-to-day with your, like, sights set on, like, some... You know, future in the horizon though. Technologically yeah. Well, speaking. to be
1: honest, when I was um, a youngin and learning about the fashion business by books by Terry Age and just learning about Gautier and how he works on this kind of cosmetics licensing, I think if we were to get into the licensing and cosmetic or you know specifically perfume, once we build a brand that's so well known that you can just chill and and make some sunglasses, I think that will be the
0: day. <laughs> <laughs> but. And so that you just need like a cash injection for that to happen.
1: What you need is just brand awareness that's so great that people want
0: to buy the sunglasses. Is that like, so that's like a a stratum. That's not like just like making sunglasses that are dope enough. It has to be like a combination. It's just a well-known name. Huh. Yeah. Is that demoralizing on some level? Because your sunglasses would be awesome. I don't know. I don't really think about that. <laughs> if I did, I'd probably get depressed. <laughs> like, let's sad, let's think about sad things. Yeah. So I had a, a a random question. So Chromat, you, you co-founded it originally mm-hmm. with with someone who went to UVA with you, Emily Cap. Yeah, my my girlfriend at the time, Emily Capus. who's an architect now. Okay, so yeah. how did that happen? Like, and was it amicable in terms of like you know she like her yeah, part of the business? So
1: we concepted it together. What we would do at the time is I would cut and sew the garments, and she would screen print. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, she just got busy with architecture, and I got busy with chroma. And, and did you have, like, paperwork
0: protecting you, or was not it, like, really. fine? It was
1: pretty much just a spoken word vibe. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you have, like, paperwork protecting you now? Because, like, yes. so much of your IP is, like, really aggressive. Yes. Like, What?
1: Um, Well, we've actually tried to pursue copyright things because we've gotten knocked off left and right. Yeah, totally. to be honest, it's more... It's just a mess. I'd rather spend my time innovating than chasing copyright. And I've tried to chase copyright protection with brands that have knocked us off, and I've just discovered it's a black hole. I've had fashion design friends who have really gone down that road and gone super paranoid and just started looking out for fakes and really taking them to court, and it's such a money pit, and then they just... It's that you lose that creative incentive to produce when you're constantly like looking back and looking for, Mm -hmm. I see it as dark. Do your employees sign NDAs? I mean, Mm -hmm.
0: good, yeah. First
1: day on the job, every intern, yes. No, I've had many, I've gone through my, my struggles with different employees starting their own um, Bustier Alliance while working at Cromwell.
0: Really? How do you resolve that? With fire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're not with us anymore. Yeah, I
0: mean, that must be a, a really real thing. Yeah, I mean, I've gone through cra- just all kinds of stuff. Because there's not that many, there aren't enough laws that protect IP here with well, design. Well, fashion yeah, IP fashion is, all. is like a, no Versus man's Paris, own. it's like no, crazy. Yeah. no one
1: cares. I mean, yeah. Totally. And I don't care. Okay. I actually buy knockoffs now. I have a little treasure chest of knockoffs. Really? It's sort of like my trophy case. And how, so it
0: sounds like, first of all, that's hilarious. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> no, because sometimes I learn things. Because if you're producing things that cost $10 retail, you must be, well, I mean, obviously slave labor yeah, totally. comes into play. But that's also a blood like, bra. <laughs> yeah. But you figure out how to make things simpler, to make it faster. And that, I think, is a benefit
0: to learn from. Okay. What is a thing that you're not quite good at yet that you would love to be good at in the future? I
1: wish I could code. I wish I could program. Why couldn't you do that? I just never took a coding class. I took a 3d rendering class. And I don't do that anymore. That was in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I was super into tech stuff because I go to a lot of tech talks now and tech panels and always at tech conferences, and I feel like such a fraud because I'm a fashion
0: designer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an architect.
1: <laughs> I try, but, like, I'm not
0: a coder, you know? I wish I could code. So props to girls who code. Right on. Um, are there any parting words that you would like to leave us with? Oh, my God. What? I didn't even a- get have my questions. <laughs> I you, love Mary. So Becca's funny because she literally brought questions, <laughs> like, in her notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... Okay, but Christine wants to know... <laughs> Go on she, her, her
0: big question she wanted to ask you is Are your parents proud of you? My parents ah, uh, First of all, Christine is your wife Yes And we're all friends And <laughs> my parents uh, They must be But my parents and I have a very fraught relationship Because I'm unwed And I'm probably I don't have any designs on You have on a cute it. boyfriend now I do indeed <laughs> <laughs> he's really cute I don't and I don't want kids and so I think that there's always going to be this like aching cavernous child-shaped hole in their hearts and so I think that any happiness they could experience for me will have like a sizable asterisk (laughs) until they die Oh no! (laughs) but I feel like I don't know I feel like there's like there should be like a Korean word for it where like you know it's a love tinged with this like you know like dizzying anguish and so that's what they have for me do you have siblings (laughs) i have a brother is he gonna have kids take the pressure off he is having a child in may so i'm really really happy about that despite the baby then having to be a taurus no i'm kidding i get (laughs) no um so i'm really excited about that and my parents are really cool though like i'm so proud of them because I've had to drag them into this understanding of like the way our realities are going to be. Like my mother's catholic to the extent where it's almost like provincial. You know, like deeply and I deeply religious people like God bless like I believe in like aliens and also magic and you know and astrology. So like p- people believe in things. But yeah, and so it I think it would be so hard for her to have a type, the type of daughter that she does have. And so the fact that she can experience any sort of, like, happiness about it, I think I'm just, like, so proud of her.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. Right, right, totally. Like, <laughs> my mom has had to battle all her crazy redneck relatives about the fact that I'm gay.
0: Well, it's a thing, right? Like, and, you know, I don't know. Like, And then you also get to an age where you can really openly root for your parents. And, like, my dad, I know... Has to be proud of me because he's convinced somehow that me being able to string a sentence together is like a direct result of him <laughs> being like really like pithy and like you know articulate or whatever. But yeah, parents are what are what are Christine's parents like? Um, they're.
1: Supportive now, they're really sweet. I mean, she's a used to be a tennis star, so her dad is a tennis coach and she was his protege.
0: Wow, so she That's was a tennis lot. pro, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But tennis is such a solo sport, you can see where she gets that mental acumen from, you yeah, know. Yeah, totally, because you're a team sports person. I'm a team sports yeah, totally. person, yeah, yeah. I love team, yeah, yeah, baby, yeah, totally, yeah, so. And her mom, like, they're so sweet. Her mom's a really great gardener, and she's really supportive of everything she does. Nice. But it, when I when I first got engaged to Christine, I remember calling her dad to ask for his blessing. I was so nervous. I'm sure. And, yeah, I mean, he was just like, you know, our family, like, the majority won't accept it. They won't recognize it. But then, you know, a year or two later, as we got to know the family, like, it ended up our wedding was everyone came. That's The grandparents, nice. the parents, the cousins, the... Uncles and aunts, everyone came to our wedding, and it was such a beautiful moment of like acceptance for her and her family and our family That's together. That's awesome, it and was really you got sweet. a Vogue write-up. Yeah, that was cute. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but I want to ask you, why don't you write about fashion more?
0: I have a very—I uh, don't know. I love—I love fashion. I love textiles. I have a BS in textiles and apparel. What? Yeah. Um. So I Ex-squeeze know. Squeeze me. We didn't even <laughs> talk about that. So you know, if you talk about like fabric I know I know textile really well like on a like a a chemical level um yeah and and I love fashion and I I remember so distinctly a time like growing up where American Vogue was like so deeply profoundly important to me and you know you know this was like Shalom Harlow like
1: Uh Amber Valletta,
0: like yeah totally like that that heyday like Christy Turlington um and ugh, you know what's weird that Linda Evangelista is Canadian. I always trip on that. Huh. Like I was like, you're European, <laughs> no, you're Canadian. Um, but I love fashion. I don't. I don't like writing about it that much. I I, I find it I find it really challenging. And I'm sure like I mean, de- I saw you wrote about a Rick Owens jacket.
1: <laughs> I read about Rick Owens jacket. But like, you don't really touch the fashion space in the sense that I
0: feel like you write about music and you mm-hmm. write about. And it's weird because I always have like. Like imposter syndrome when i write about music and in fact every time i write about music and i read something that like an actual music writer writes i'm like i'm never gonna write music again yeah but um i don't know fashion i think i'm gonna come back to like later in life because i feel like the arenas in which i can write about fashion that people will pay for actually that's not true racked is like a really great home to freelance for um, I don't know why I don't write, write about fashion. I'm I, just
1: curious, like, your views upon the fashion industry or, like, what excites you in the industry or, like, the creative space and mm-hmm. fashion versus music, which it seems, like, so
0: easy. Fashion is hard for me to get inspired by sometimes, especially, like, mainstream stuff. And I definitely have moments where I'm, like, you know, looking at just like old school like VA shit where I'm like, oh my god, this is so trippy. Or like Because you feel like you'd be writing about like Taylor Swift all day, kinda like yeah, Ralph Lauren vibes. You know what? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I was burnt out because I did red carpet for so long. Okay. And which is disgusting. Yeah, like I yeah. fucking it's hate it. It's all about
1: like endorsements. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's
0: and it's also so fucking like vacuous and it's like it's like high school and it makes me feel uncomfortable yeah that's an icky space to be yeah it's like, a really icky space to like yeah. be in and similarly i feel like you know i love rick owens and i'm because i love michelle Lamy, obviously have you met her no i would die she seems so epic. she seems so cool and every time i see her like geotag like overthrow like when she's like um at the boxing gym i'm like i'm just gonna go I'm gonna <laughs> but um i did i did once write a um a short comic book based on their relationship wow <laughs> um I made him blonde so they wouldn't, like, come after me. I was like, this is enough. But um, I, I think I'll write about fashion again. I think that I needed to be more confident. Like, I think fashion, because I fell in love with it when I was young and not feeling comfortable in myself, it still has a lot of baggage for me. Yeah. And so I think that once I get over that, I'll be able to just be like, I hate this, and this is why.
1: But I think it's interesting. I mean, if you're in the young adult novel space mm-hmm. to me young adults are obsessed with fashion it's this sort of a core of their identity in a, in a scary way
0: yeah and it's- actually it's funny I wrote about this thing about fuckboy fashion like when yeah, I was yeah. like basically decrying like the starter kit and I was just like oh my god the internet is ruining fashion and like personal style and you know and I it just I, I just like wrote it and it was like very like blah 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 blah, blah, blah and I'm out gavel thwack <laughs> but then I got emails from young people being like okay but then what else am I supposed to wear like if I if I am just starting out and they're all these like you know they're like covered in amniotic fluid like you know trying out outfits for the first time (laughs) and I forgot about that and I was just like yeah like to and she was just like and you said all these mean things about the stuff oh my god what if people said
1: me think about what you wore in high school no exactly And, and and
0: so I wrote back and I was just like you know what like this is why I said this and you know to be honest like Not to be like read a book once in a while, but I was just like, if you actually (laughs) knew what these trends are drawing upon, and if you were like, you know, I love the 90s, right? And I love the 90s in this way. Well, then you should know that in the 90s, it it borrowed so heavily from the 70s. And like, this is the through line of that. And this is why this particular lug heel that you love on this one shoe, like, is this, that and that and like, and then it just goes into like, do you know what like, Youthquake is it just gets into a a larger conversation. And, And I'm just like it bums me out and I understand if urban outfitters is your gateway drug but it bums me out if that's as far as you go with it if you're going to be a fashion person and you're going to be like in that space where you put something on you feel that sort of frisson, song like that, that quickening of like I am looking at myself and I look so different and I feel powerful then fucking know what that lineage is like fucking read a book and so I said that to this poor impressionable 12 year old <laughs> but it was a very nice email and I guess that's my point like I think people are so fucking lazy about fashion, and I really, really don't like it when fashion de- designers themselves on, like, the public stage are incredibly derivative. Oh, yeah. And I'm just, like—and I get really frustrated when, like, I see another fucking ultramarine neoprene pencil dress, and I'm just, like like— and it's inevitably, it's like
1: $1,300. But to me, the worst, the, the most disgusting part of fashion is cultural appropriation.
0: Oh, for sure. And
1: I think that's so hideous. It's, it's
0: hideous, and it's weird, and it's lazy, and it's like... Talking about knowing your references. Yeah, like, and it's so shoplifty. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But do you read the comments on your articles?
0: My articles? Yeah. Um, yes. Always? Do you yes. respond? No, not at all. I always read them, and it doesn't bother me anymore. Really? Yeah. You don't get itchy inside? I used to. Very, very itchy. But now it's even weirder. Like, I get emails being like, you're so fucking annoying, and that's it. (laughs) Or, like, you're so fucking annoying. You know that, right? What? Question mark. And that's it. And it's just, like, it's usually guys. Ew. And, you know, it's just, like, whatever. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. And that's, like, the best part. Like, I love knowing what guys are really yeah like, I just like I, I feel like I, I figured it out oh yeah and wow. it, like it doesn't bother me anymore like and to be fair like I'm sorry if I was like in Gamergate and I was getting death threats like that'd be a very very different thing and I don't feel attacked on any of my social media platforms yeah. but yeah I love I love being a woman of a certain age like, I'm definitely, like, easing into my Eileen Fisher years, and I'm <laughs> fucking loving it. It's, like, the best. Of yeah, course, like, yeah. <laughs> not for a while, but, like, I'm already wearing it, and it feels pretty good.
1: Yeah. Who are your favorite designers? Oh, uh, Gautier. I love Hudbear. I'm devastated that they're taking a break Hiatus, right now. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's ballsy, and I kind of love that. Yeah. That sort of declaration. They're of, just like,
1: doing their thing, mm-hmm. and they don't have any rules. Um, I love Gypsy Sport. That's my friend Rio. Who else do I love? Oh, Ray, a comedy garçon. I'm foaming at the mouth to get to that med exhibit. I know. I'll
0: be the first one in line. I'm so excited about that. And I love that she's never been because she's <laughs> epic. <laughs> she's just had never been any interest in it. Yeah, yeah. Although the perverse part of my brain is like, I would love to see, watch. This is so mean, but I would love to watch Katy Perry try to talk to her and get shut down. Like, I would just <laughs> That that gif just plays in my head as a thing that I would enjoy. But um. Yeah, I think that's gonna be amazing. Yeah. And I love that it's not just like a theme that's like blah blah meets blah China. blah China. I know. <laughs> fucking trash. Did you go to that exhibit? <laughs> no, but when that when China was announced, legit ass every fucking Asian person on my social, we were just like, sound the gong. Oh, God. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Yeah. It was
1: so weird because I went and um The weirdest part for me was the little blurbs on the wall where they talk about the whatever's being exhibited. And the language was so like, the West was insatiated (laughs) with Chinese silk. They couldn't get enough. They were so hungry for more. It was such a like, like, colonial. It was (laughs) gross. Like, you wanted to
0: eat them. It was like insatiable thirst for silk. It was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I also have this interest. Like, people are so interested in otherizing asian culture especially like asian america it's so weird like i have this like theory that right now um asians are like the whipping boy of america just because you know i feel like even the most maga white person feels like that that third rail of like well you can't talk about you know black people in this context and so it like tk not white person is always an asian person and like i see it increasingly in movies and i see it pretty much everywhere like even just like the most throwaway joke and yeah I hope to one day be powerful enough to set fire to it all just like firebomb it yes oh what how did you decide to take the tran and uh, to hyphenate your last name
1: oh well we've always wanted to do some kind of amalgamation of our names Mm -hmm. mccarran and tran we just, well, I don't know if it was her decision or mine, but McCarran <laughs> comes first in the alphabet. So we wanted our future kids to be somewhere in the middle of the pack and
0: not at the end. Oh, right on. Yeah, totally for seating arrangements. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show Yeah, today. thank you so much. <laughs> I have many more questions to <laughs> ask you. <laughs> <laughs> not we'll, we'll talk about that a little later, Jade. Thank
1: you for having me. It's an honor. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye. I'm in love with my life.